Blog Talk Radio. along with Mike Carter, a very important show tonight here at Post Time with Mike and Mike, as we will hear from the three candidates that have declared their candidacy for the uh, presidency of the United States Trotting Association. Mike Carter is actually broadcasting live from the booth at Northfield Park, where he is calling the races tonight. Mike, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, we're here, buddy. Well, you're sounding perfect, crystal clear, and uh, give us an update. What's going on up there? How many minutes you got to post, and what race you on, and all that good stuff? Well, we got about a minute to uh, to race four, and uh, the horse I touted in the last race, Mike Bozich, was fifty to one and run second. And he exactly paid a little over a hundred bucks. So hopefully, uh, somebody is uh, hopefully somebody's watching along. Well, more importantly, how much did you have the show on him? Yeah, right. I think he only paid like two bucks a show. You know. Hey, listen, a very important show tonight, and of course, we'll be talking back and forth a little bit, but some big-time business to take care of, as uh, we're going to hear from each of the three candidates tonight who have so far declared their candidacy for the president of the United States Trotting Association, Hanover Shoe Farms Vice President Russell Williams will be joining us, so too with the president of the Florida Standard Bread Breeders and Owners Association, Joe Panaccio, and Ryan Macedonio, the host of the popular uh, Harness Racing's program, Trotcast, and they're each going to outline their vision for the sport of harness racing to come. Of course, a long time, uh, I think he was there since 2002, 2003 or so, has been president of the USTA, Phil Langley, uh, stepping down here at the end of 2016. And in the end of February, I believe February 28th is the magical date where the new president will be elected by the USTA directors. So, so far, three have, have declared, and I believe they've got to the end of January. So it doesn't mean that these are going to be the only three that are going to be running. There could be more. They do have till 
the end of January. Plus, uh, Game Peru is going to join us about 7.15 or so. Of course, it's our ongoing series with Pompano Park. Had some pretty good paying uh, horses over the past week. So Game's going to talk to us about that. And, of course, the stables, Anthony McDonald will join the program as well. They had the very first open house just a few weeks ago. It was very successful despite uh, cold conditions. And uh, McDonald will also tell us what's coming up at the stable in 2017. After this timeout, it is the one and only Anthony McDonald. You've got post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Hey, I'm Chantel Sutherland Cruz and want to tell you all about BetAmerica.com. It's the coolest place to bet on horse racing on over 200 racetracks from America and around the world. New players receive a 100% bonus on your first deposit, up to $300. That's the best sign up bonus available today. It's time to play the Bet America way. Embroidery Unlimited is a premier provider of quality embroidery, screen printing, and promotional products. Our commitment to quality and pride in our work is second to none. We focus on quality and customer service. For all of your stable or business needs, Embroidery Unlimited is the number one provider in harness racing. Give Jim Winsky a call at 508-485-5522. That's 508-485-5522. Or visit them on the internet at EmbroideryUNL.com. That's EmbroideryUNL.com. Embroidery Unlimited. Back on post time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Bozich, along with uh, Mike Carter, right now we're joined by the stable's very own Anthony McDonald. Anthony, it's been a little bit since we had a chance to keep up with you, but boy, you've been on a whirlwind schedule. I would say for the last part of November and the first part of December. How are you holding up? Good, good. I, I got uh, we get done to the open house just in time for me to get a touch of the flu, so I was a little bit sick, but a couple of days I get over it and, and I got to wind down and really let everything sink in and it's it's been uh, it's been pretty crazy but like i said to you before i mean if, if we're gonna if we're gonna take this industry where it needs to be into the mainstream then we're gonna have to put the work in and, and i'm certainly willing to do it and i think there's lots of other people that are also anthony you guys had the stables uh, open house and live sale back on december 10th a couple of weeks ago now and and what a great turnout reading garnett barnsdale's article approximately 200 people uh, even brave the conditions. I guess uh, from what I was reading, the weather was a little bit cold, but you had approximately 200 people brave the conditions, and uh, certainly looked like it was uh, a good time was had by all. How'd it go? No, oh, it was fantastic. I mean, uh, but we had good people. I mean, yeah, I was flying around trying to promote it, but we had good people on the ground here doing a fantastic job. I mean, Justin Mandel works with the site. He's been with me from the start. He does a great job. My wife Amy and everybody in the barn, and then. We brought Kelly Spencer on too for this event, and and she uh, she did a really really tremendous job. And then obviously all the video work my brother put in, it, it all it all everything paid off. But it it took a, a great job from everybody to do it. And you know yeah we had two maybe two to three hundred people come out from time to time throughout the day. You know it was a four hour a four and a half hour ordeal to be honest. And um, people in New York that were owners tried to get over and they just couldn't they couldn't get out with all the snow that with all the snow that fell. And to be honest. 
considering the weather and the conditions, you know, if it hadn't been a mildly nice day, we could have had four or 500 people out there trackside. And it was a real, real cool feeling and something that, that I, obviously I'm always proud of what we do, but I'm certainly proud of what happened on the 10th, that's for sure. And you guys certainly done some did some different things there. You had a lot of help, like you said. Uh, I know Jody Jamison, Sylvan Fillion, uh, Billy Davis, uh, James McDonald, among some others, were there to help you out. And uh, <clears throat> you did something pretty revolutionary. You guys had it streaming uh, live on Facebook uh, through HD video. How'd that go? Awesome, awesome. I mean, I, the job that my, my father flew up from PEI. He's got a sports show in PEI that he does, and then obviously everybody knows Billy O'Donnell. He, uh, him and my father, I knew they, they did it off and they, they did a fantastic job. And, um, you know, it was new for everybody. We didn't know how many people would tune in. And, um, Curtis was looking at the analytics of it all. And he said there was just shy, just, just, just under 3000 people watched the, watched it live, which is wow. pretty incredible considering it was just a bunch of yearlings jogging around the track with some commentary. But, um, you know, the fact that we had people, uh, I had a gentleman from Malta. Uh, an island in Italy, uh, just off the coast of Italy that bought 4% of a trotter and we had, we had people from all over Europe that were commenting and emailing in and we sold uh, probably just under uh, around 300 shares of horses in, in that one you know in the, just on that one day and, and uh, it was a it was it was pretty cool I mean we had as many people asking us when we were going to have another one as we were a- asking us how it went and you know, um, I think we might, we're looking at maybe having another one in March, depending on what shares are left and, you know, what, what, um, what's going on in that month. Now to promo this, uh, open house, um, yeah, obviously you did a lot of interviews, a couple of different radio interviews, including my old stomping grounds. Uh, you went to Michigan for a day, had a chance to, uh, meet the MHHA treasurer, Crystal Sarah, some other people there from the Michigan Harness Horsemen's Association. We talked a little bit about it off the air, uh, you know, how the state of Michigan, the state of Michigan has really had to, you know, kind of, the, the racing industry's had to tough it out there, of course, with no help from expanded gaming. Tell us, uh, how it went in Michigan. I know you did a radio interview there and, and, uh, I know we talked a little bit about it off the air, but, uh, tell our listeners how did it go in the, uh, in the, uh, Wolverine state. You know, it was, it was bittersweet. I mean, the, the sweet part was that we got to go to Michigan and promote what we're doing and how it can help lots of horsemen across uh, across North America, across the world, for that matter. And while I was there, uh, I also did a, an interview live in New Zealand, and uh, we I think I did seven interviews that week. And I got to go out to dinner and talk to talk to Hustle about what you know what had gone on. And <clears throat> what I was saying to you off the air was people really got to pay attention because what had happened in Michigan can happen to any of us. It can happen to any jurisdiction at any time. And the people of Pennsylvania know far too well how close they were to losing a lot last year um, before the Harrisburg sale. And it, it can happen anywhere. And I think, you know, if, if we succeed in what we're doing, we're going to bring power back to the horsemen of horse racing. We're going to show that by bringing new people into the industry and by, by bringing exposure to the industry that hasn't been there for decades long, I think we're going to bring a certain amount of power back to the industry that, that horsemen aren't used to, not in this generation, certainly not in mine. And I think that's the most important thing of all that we're doing. It's not about just selling shares and bringing yearlings in and building up a business. It's about bringing a voice to voiceless horsemen. You know, when I spoke at Michigan State University, a lot of the people that were there were actually retired horsemen or horsemen that are still trying to make a grind of it. And the question I was asked point blank was, how can this possibly work in Michigan? Well, when you look at what we have, we have 39 or almost 40 yearlings now 
that are uh, spread out over every jurisdiction. And it really doesn't matter that they're trained in Ontario or that they could be trained in Michigan. It's what you offer going forward. And, and for me, um, you know, if you're an honest horseman out there that's finding it hard to get by or, or continue to find it hard to get by, then the stable.ca is exactly what you should look into. And whether it's coming under a banner and, and working with us and trying to get trying to get you some yearlings through through uh, different avenues and next year through the sales and whatnot, or whether it's just trying to do the same thing. I mean, that's the one thing that we do at the stable that no one else does. Absolutely no one else does. We promote everybody. We promote the horse racing industry. We promote um, horsemen that, that, that don't promote themselves. And we're going to continue to do that until we have a, a, a an ironclad defense against against, you know, the general public. And what I mean by that is we're our own worst enemy and if we don't if we don't promote ourselves to the general public, they're gonna forget about us like they always have and they're gonna walk away from us. So we need to get out there and we need to uh we need to get in their face and we need to get in their ear and show them that, that uh horse racing is fun. It isn't just about dollars and cents, it's about the experience along the way and and uh horse racing is a fantastic sport full of fantastic people and and um you know, the people we get involved right now are, are seeing that firsthand for sure. Uh, Anthony, you mentioned I was reading uh, <clears throat> the uh, Garnet Barnsdale article in the DRF Harness uh, about the open house. And uh, I'm going to give you a quote that you threw at Garnet because I think it's it's a pretty good quote. Um, we are changing the business model of this industry back to what it once was by focusing on offering an affordable experience to the owner that is otherwise unmatched in society. We are opening avenues for investment that were otherwise untapped in the past. The big picture for us is to pour the foundation of what will be a long-term game-changing project, literally. Now, what I got out of that, Anthony, is that, you know, and for years and years and years, racing and uh, it seems like the marketing people in racing and racetracks themselves have been so focused on trying to attract the gambler through gambling means on its own that this was kind of overlooked. And I know we've talked about it before that, you know, the ownership of harness horses has shrunk so much that it's had an effect on the gambling itself. Am, am I close to, am I on base with uh, what you were trying to say there? You're bang on. I mean, horse racing was started because it was a, a fun and competitive sport. And because it was a fun and competitive sport, people began to wager on it. Now, over the years, we've begun to rely on, on gambling and, and, and uh, secondary gambling to support this industry. And to be honest, I mean, nothing much about wagering on horses has changed in decades. And every other form of gambling in the world has changed completely. You know, and everybody thinks that we're going to find some new way to gamble on horses and it's going to save our industry and it couldn't be further from the truth. And it's not that I'm a marketing genius or whiz, but just look at it. Our owners have declined, our investment has declined, and our wagering has declined. We need to get owners back into the game, lots of them. We need to get them involved in the game and bring them out to the track. And then when they're at the track, they are going to drink beer, they're going to eat food at the racetrack, and they're going to wager on the horses. And that's how we're going to repopulate the wagering the wagering population in this industry it's not from new forms of wagering it's from new people wagering on horse racing and obviously i think it's it's important that it's very important that we as as an industry and racetracks um it's their job that we're going to have to update and 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 streamline wagering i mean ask anybody that goes to the track you take somebody to the track the first time they don't know how to wager it's very complex it's very um very difficult for them to learn how to do it so they just don't 
you know, just they don't bother doing it. Why would they do that when they could go downstairs, walk into the casino, and pull a, pull an arm on a on a you know on a slot machine? It just it makes no sense. You know, for us, and that when I say we have the power, we do have the power, because when when you sell pieces of horses and you get many many people involved. Every single person that owns one share of a horse usually brings four or five people to the farm or to the track with them. So if we have more horses in fractional ownership situations, we're going to have more owners. Every one of those owners brings four or five people with them. Compound that over stables and stables and stables and stables and stables. And you tell me what our tarmacs are going to look like in a decade. That's how we're going to save this industry. It's not going to be over some magical form of wagering that's going to make people come out in droves. It's going to be through hard work. And inclusiveness, and and that's what we need to do. That's right, Anthony McDonald of thestable.ca. Of course, visit him at thestable.ca.com. Anthony, before we let you go, we, uh, you know, we have you on the show maybe once a month, uh, and we like to not only talk about the stable, but we like to touch on current events with you from time to time. And and one of the things that I'd like to get your opinion on uh, over the last week, the news from Australia that in 2017 it will go whipping free. Uh, basically banning whips. And we've got some uh, uh, opinions from some drivers and uh, some horsemen alike, and certainly wanted to get your, your take on that. Well, I think, listen, you're going to have competitive racing whether you're whips or not. I mean, I'm an aggressive driver, and, you know, when they brought the whipping rule in, um, it didn't really matter to me. I, I learned in, you know, I learned to drive in Montreal where you had to keep a line in each end. And whether you don't have a whip or you have a whip, I, uh, is it is it better for racing? I don't think so. But um, we're talking about a different jurisdiction and a different mentality looking at it. I mean, if the officials and the governing body in, in Australia truly believe that it's in the best interest of racing, the best interest of its fan base to to uh, go without a whip, then go ahead and try it, I suppose. I, I, uh, I really don't think what I believe should weigh in and matter. I mean, um, I... I I don't know where they're coming at from it. I, I think that urging a horse and being able to, to put a horse in position is incumbent. I mean, our industry is built on, um, for the most part, our wagering dollars plays a, a, a vital role in uh, in uh, the money we race for going forward. And if you know the wagering public out there believes that they're not getting a fair shake because we can't put our horses in position because of um, some sort of uh, rule against whipping or urging horses, and I think that's that's a problem. So um, maybe I'm being a little, uh, um, you know, myopic or, or linear on that. But I, I think that um, we as an industry owe it to the gamblers, the people that wager on this product, to make sure that this product is the best product it can be. And taking a whip away from the drivers and a whip away from trainers also, from what I understand, I think is, uh, is a mistake. But... Again, uh, I'm on another side of the ocean, and, and uh, maybe I'm not privy to everything that's going on over there. So I, I wish them the best. I, I, I really don't know what it's going to look like or how it's going to work out, but um, I guess we're going to find out soon enough. Anthony McDonald from thestable.ca. Uh, what's coming up for the stable? I know we're getting ready to start a new year here in 2017. Uh, lots of uh, two-year-olds will be uh, getting ready to go in action in the not-too-distant future. What's uh, coming up for the stable? Well, I mean, we're not going to slow down. I mean... The stable as as the stable itself, uh, you know, we have a lot of colts that are training down very, very good. They're going to begin training in the new year, and uh, hopefully we'll have as many of them uh, ready in, in June as we can. Um, as far as what the stable.ca represents, it's just the beginning, man. I mean, 
Um, I'm going to be speaking in Illinois, I believe. I don't think it's official yet, but I think uh, I think January 19th, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to be flying out to, to Illinois to speak. And then uh, I'm going to be looking into speaking in a couple other places, maybe Bangor. And, um, you know, I'm not going to stop trying to spread the message of what we're trying to do. You can go to any jurisdiction in North America, or really the world if you want, and you're going to find the same thing we find right here in Ontario. A lot of highly regarded, well-respected horsemen down on their luck because of the way this, the state of the industry. This, this industry doesn't need to be the, in the state it's in. And, um, you know, if, if we're the tip of the spear, then so be it. But we are going to push through and we are going to push forward and we're going to, we're going to bring this industry into the 21st century one way or another. Here at The Stable, our mission is to provide fair market for owners of yearlings while giving investors the most informative way to purchase all of or part of a horse. The Stable will cater to all budgets by having an open fractional buying market and a flat rate billing system. At The Stable, we aim to minimize the risk in buying and maximize the benefit of selling. Visit thestable.ca or give Anthony McDonald a call at 519-400-4263. That's 519-400-4263. It's thestable.ca. Presented by Bet America. Mike Bozich along with Mike Carter. Don't forget a lot to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, including three candidates who have declared their uh, candidacy for the president of the USTA, Russell Williams, Joe Panaccio, and Ryan Macedonio, all on deck. But uh, Mike Carter is also standing by from the uh, beautiful confines of the booth at Northfield Park with that great view. And speaking of great views, down in Florida, we've got Gabe Pruitt as well. Mike, uh, how are things going up there? Not too bad. And listen, Gabe, you know, each week we got to mess with you about something. You're the only one I know that can't remember to save a phone number every week. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was quite the introduction there. I appreciate it. And um, yes, I do not have the phone number and I do request it uh, multiple times weekly. In fact, thank you for putting that on front street. So, Dave, talk to us a little bit about what's going on, man. You guys have been on fire as far as handle goes and as far as payouts. Man, you guys can't keep that high five in stock down there. Guys, it has been incredible. I would put our average win payout up this week against any track. I don't care if it's Thoroughbred, Greyhound, you name it. We had bombs away, great prices, great racing here all week. And you said it, Mike, the wagering front. We've had some uh, huge handles of late to couple of our highest handles of season for this past week of course we're going uh five nights we started the week out on saturday and uh we had a small pick six carry over to saturday uh, it was missed again on saturday night uh, they missed the pick four three thousand dollar carry over on saturday night and then uh in the super high five it was up to um about uh right in the high 20s uh, there was three tickets out so all that survived and moved into sunday sunday night with that um three thousand dollar pick four carry over they bet almost 30,000 new money, just a huge pool and a uh, 12% takeout on that. 
uh, and a nice payout. In fact, um, on Sunday night, uh, and, and on Sunday, the uh, pick five was missed. So, like, 5,100 went over to Monday night, and the pick six missed again. And then on Sunday night, that jackpot I-5 nearly came down again. The three tickets were out. So we moved into uh, Monday night. And uh, Monday night, usually one of our lesser cards, so to speak, uh, some of our um, a little bit lesser uh, horses uh, than we typically have are in on uh, Monday night. Uh, and But we had those big carryovers. They bet like 24000 new money in the pick five. They bet 20000 new money in the pick six. Uh, we had great payouts in both. In fact, in the uh, pick six guys, just two tickets were out. So it was nearly 16000 for 50 cents. Uh, so well done to whomever had those tickets. Uh, we moved into Tuesday night. We called it Pool Shot Tuesday. We had a pool shot in the Pit of Facta for nearly $5,400. We had a pool shot in the Pick 4 for nearly 14000 And how about this, guys? The Jackpot I-5, it came an 8-1 to one over the three favorites, and there was one ticket out. Just uh, amazingly wow. enough, it paid uh, 37000 and change, and it was uh, hit up at the Indianapolis uh, OTB. So, uh, again, pretty formidable uh, finish, but uh, one ticket out to the tune of 37000 and change. Gabe, uh, action on the track as well. Uh, Pinocchio's winning streak of six was snapped in that open pace back on Sunday night. Uh, was uh, defeated uh, by No Bad Dreams, trained by uh, a guy that I've known for a very long time, the 83-year-old Mark Aubin, who get this one, his first race back, 1959. So some good action on the track itself this past week. Yeah, well, Mark actually had a great night. Not only did he uh, win the Open there with No Bad Dreams, he won the Open, too, with Breath of Fresh Art the uh, same night. So we took the uh, two features on Sunday night. Uh, always does a great job, has his horses ready to go. Of course, in typical fashion, I missed the party on uh, Sunday night. I showed up to the funeral on Monday night because he had a horse set that I absolutely love. My best bet of the night, Geronimo Fame, of course. Typical bad beat stories, guys. He raced super, parked every step, first up, got beat a couple of blinks, but uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, just another story. You have to put him back on that watch list. Well, what's ahead? I know we've got the holidays coming up. Uh, Christmas Eve's on Saturday. Christmas is on Sunday. As a matter of fact, I saw you put something on Twitter. I know we talked about it maybe last week about the possibility uh, in the future of uh, racing on one of those two nights, huh? You know, it's worth exploring. Uh, I typically like to uh, leave no stone unturned. You know, I do think at the end of the day, uh, just when you look at all the places that are shut down, you know, over those two holidays, um, you know, it's tough. A lot of people that have account wagering probably wouldn't mind, especially on Christmas night once things kind of die down to uh, send in a bit of action. So, But when you combine all the uh, places that are closed and, um, you know, obviously our employees, uh, you know, would, would appreciate having the holiday off. So I think probably we are going to steer clear of that uh, but, again, who knows? One of these days uh, that could happen. We've got some big news, in fact, guys. We are going to uh, raise our nightly pick four guarantee to $10,000 on every card with the exception of Saturdays. So now we'll have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights with the $10,000 guaranteed pick four pool. Uh, pick six mania could happen again this week. We've got uh, 1,700 carryover into Monday night, so who knows where that will go uh, after another program or two. Well, the thing I'm most looking interesting uh, to, we, you know, of course, we race Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week, close Saturday, Sunday. We've got uh, some big cards, 12 race cards on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and 10 on Wednesday. We've got a horse named Draken Hanover, who um, was very good at overnight company up in Canada, and he just ripped through a, a four-year-old open event down here 
uh, one handily for driver Wiley Hennessy last week in 50 and change. He steps up to the top level open. Really looking forward to seeing him back in action. That's on Monday night. Yeah, some great action there. Uh, Gabe, uh, getting away from that a little bit and uh, talking about some current topics, uh, I know you uh, posted on Facebook about perhaps having a presidential endorsement for the USTA. Were, were, were you serious about that? you going to come clean, or were you just kind of giving us a little bit of a, a, a jerk on the chain a little bit? That was a jerk on the chain. <laughs> but I am looking forward to uh, listening to those interviews and uh, and what the guys have to say. Obviously, it's a very important position, and um, I um, really only know one of the candidates, uh, Joe Padaccio. In fact, Joe's a great guy and heads up the uh, – Florida Standard Bread Breeders and Owners Association. I think he's done uh, great things there. And, uh, you know, I don't know the other two, and I, I look forward to hearing what they had to say. All right. Well, Gabe uh, Pruitt from uh, the Isle of Capri, Pompano Park, we certainly appreciate you joining us, director of racing and track announcer down there. Gabe, you guys have done a heck of a job turning that into a gambler's paradise, a fun track to play, always carryovers, always guarantees, and really just about anything. If you're a gambler, just about Anything uh, that tickles your fancy wagering-wise, uh, you guys have it down there. Well, you know what? We've got a great product on the t- uh, track right now, Mike. That's what it all boils down to. We've got full fields, competitive racing. It really is peak season. And, of course, we do appreciate everyone's support out there that have responded. But uh, we have tried many things that have worked and uh, some that haven't, quite frankly. So we like to uh, try and stick with uh, – what's been successful and and we really appreciate everyone's support and look forward to uh rolling it right on through the winter gabe from all of us at post time with mike and mike a very merry christmas happy holidays same to you guys thanks all right that was gabe pruitt director of racing and track announcer at the isle of capri pompano park they have just done an outstanding job down there of uh, turning things around and uh, i'll tell you uh you know before uh, brett remington and now gabe pruitt took over it was uh, kind of a tough road for Pompano Park, and uh, they've uh, managed to turn it around, done a lot with uh, guaranteed pools, a lot with uh, uh, carryovers, uh, competitive fields. Uh, Greg DeFrank, the race secretary, all the people down there have done an outstanding job of uh, truly making Pompano Park the winter capital of harness racing again, especially from a gambling point of view. Well, we have got three very important interviews up on deck at Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. The first will be with Hanover Shoe Farms Vice President Russell Williams, one of three that have so far announced their candidacy for the president of the United States Trotting Association. We're going to hear from Russell Williams. And we're going to hear what uh, the future looks like in his eyes if he were to be president. That's coming up next on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Hello, this is Kayla Stra, and I'm here to tell you all about BetAmerica.com. It is the fastest-growing legal, safe, and secure website to place all your bets on horse racing. Bet America covers over 200 racetracks from North America, the UK, and my home country, Australia. New players to Bet America receive a 100% bonus on your first deposit up to $300. That's the best sign-up bonus available today. It's time to play the Bet America way. Friends of Maryland Standard Breads is an industry support group focused on promoting harness racing in Maryland. Friends of Maryland Standard Breads works hand-in-hand with charities involving children and horses, such as the Harness Horse Youth Foundation. Friends of Maryland Standard Breads is actively involved with organizations such as the Maryland Horse Council and the Maryland Horse Industry Board, working together to promote the horse industry in Maryland. 
Follow Friends of Maryland Standard Breads on Twitter and like them on Facebook. Embroidery Unlimited is a premier provider of quality embroidery, screen printing, and promotional products. Our commitment to quality and pride in our work is second to none. We focus on quality and customer service. For all of your stable or business needs, Embroidery Unlimited is the number one provider in harness racing. Give Jim Winsky a call at 508-485-5522. That's 508-485-5522. Or visit them on the internet at EmbroideryUNL.com. That's EmbroideryUNL.com. Embroidery Unlimited. We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Bozich along with Mike Carter. Right now, we're joined by Russell Williams. Russell has a, a pretty long resume, and he is running for the presidency of the United States Trotting Association in early 2017. Russell Williams is the grandson of Hanover Shoe Farms founder, Lawrence Shepard, vice president of Hanover Shoe Farms, uh, vice chairman of the USDA Board of Directors, heavily involved with the American Horse Council, Harness Racing Hall of Fame, and the former assistant attorney general for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Did I get all that right, Russell? It sounds right to me, Mike. <laughs> all right. Russell, uh, what motivated you to uh, seek the presidency of the United States Trotting Association? Well, uh, I've been a director for 20 years. And during that time, I've seen a lot of really excellent people from harness racing working hard to uh, keep the sport organized, keep it moving forward. It's a great organization, and uh, I'd really like to, to give it my all. Russell, so I think I've got one more, one more big uh, project left in me at least, and I'd like to make it that if I can. Russell, I think, you know, a lot of people, when you talk to them about the USTA, I think a lot of people are confused about what the USTA's role actually is in the sport of harness racing. In your opinion, what should the USTA's role be? Should it be a, a governing body? Should it be a record-keeping body? Where do you think the USTA should uh, go moving forward as far as their role is concerned? Well, I, I think what it, it should be what it always has been. It was started, actually, not to keep records. Uh, if you look at the charter, it was started to promote harness racing and to standardize rules and practices within the industry and, and really to develop best practices for harness racing. So all the way back in those days, the purpose of it was to promote harness racing and, and make the sport better. The record-keeping came along the way. You know, it, It's really, that's never been the primary function of the organization. Now, uh, what follows from that is it should be whatever the sport needs it to be. If we need, uh, let's say we need a social media presence, or let's say we're a little behind in that area. Well, USDA is a good vehicle to get that going. We can bring in a lot of expertise. There's already a lot of people in harness racing that are very highly literate in social media, so we can do that. We can do whatever we need to do. 
Yeah, social media has certainly uh, come a long way, de- definitely. I mean, not only in the promotion of harness racing, but you see it in other businesses as well. It's really kind of taken a, a life to itself and been an advertising medium for a lot of different businesses. Um, Russell, the you know, obviously in the last decade, 15, probably going back to 20 years now, uh, harness racing has experienced a decline in handle, and you know, obviously I think there's a lot of different things to blame, a variety of reasons. What do you think uh, Russell Racing can do to uh, attract more public interest? Well, first of all, uh, just it, it's like climate change. We gotta we gotta accept the reality that most people don't have horses anymore. Uh, slowly over time, since since the USDA has been in existence, uh, people have become less and less aware of it. So I think the number one thing we have to do is make sure we're not forgotten. Uh, the social media thing, I think that's the idea behind that. Uh, there's a lot of marketing going on at the tracks locally all over the country. We've got the strategic wagering initiative, and I think that's going to be the great thing because uh, we never want to lose the players that actually come to the tracks and take an interest in the event. But when it comes to the event, um, I think we could we could do more to make racing the kind of thing that people want to go out for. Look at look at uh, what's going on in Paris right now. They're leading up to the Prix de Marique. They've got a series of four or five uh, huge races at Vincennes, where um, they, the entire country, the France, is focused on this. They've got huge interest, and of course, all over Europe because. Horses from Sweden and uh, Germany and uh, Italy are, are trying to compete in this. Um, so I think, you know, concentrating on the event and making it uh, something people consider worth going to. Visiting with Russell Williams, the uh, vice president of Hanover Shoe Farms, also a candidate for the uh, president of the USTA. Um, Russell, you know, over the last decade, I mean, obviously we've talked about some of the things that maybe racing can do to kind of bring the public back a little bit, but uh, maybe there have been some positives. Uh, give me some of the positive advances you think that racing's made over the past decade. Well, I just mentioned the strategic wagering initiative where uh, basically the sport is pumping money into the pools so that bettors can actually make something on their wager. So that's going to keep the bettors interested. Um, the quality of the show at the tracks has turned around. There was a time, I think, when you could go to the track if you if you wanted a long evening, plenty of time between races, and bad food. All that's changed. I, I haven't been to a track like that in in about 10 years. Uh, the, uh, the track management know that they need to put on a good experience for the patrons. Um, the, uh, the sponsorships, there's been some some pretty high-level sponsorships that have uh, enabled races like the Little Brown Jug to promote themselves to a, a regional and sometimes a national public. And I think that's that's going to pay off for the sport in the long run. There's uh, three things that come to mind right away. You know, Russell, one of the problems with racing, I think, is getting everybody on the same page. And you have so many different factions, you have so many different agendas. I mean, you have horsemen, you have racetracks, you have breeders, you have owners, you just have so many different types of people that are involved in the sport of harness racing. 
What do you think is the key to try to get some of these people on the same page moving forward? Well, uh, first of all, factions are, are not bad in themselves. You know, when you look at the uh, board of directors, there's 60 directors at the USTA, and they're actually a pretty valuable group because you're, you're drawing from 60 different areas. Uh, 20 of them are track directors, 40 of them are horseman directors from all over the country. So factions really can be good. It's kind of like we have 50 states in the U.S. and there's 50 different um, governments trying to work out the, the problems that we all face. Now, uh, my experience, Mike, has been that when a big enough problem comes along, everybody very easily hops onto the same page. Uh, we're really not contentious. We debate things at different viewpoints. That that much is good. You know, let's, we need diversity. We need a lot of different ideas. And when when the rubber meets the road, I think we're, we are on the same page. I, uh, my entire livelihood is, is harness racing. Now, this is, uh, you know, I'm not retired. I'm still working. And uh, that's true of just about everybody on that board. Yeah, I think one of the things, Russell, is that no matter where you are in the business, it's certainly a labor of love. I would venture to say that everybody that's involved in the sport of harness racing loves the business. With that being said, um, obviously over the past 10, 15, 20 years now, uh, you know, you've had the racinos, you've had casinos, and at times the relationships between horsemen, racetracks, and casinos have certainly been frayed. What can we do, in your opinion, to kind of solidify this relationship going forward? Well, um, Pennsylvania is a great example. I think we have one of the best uh, programs and the best balances between gaming and racing. If you look at the numbers, uh, the win in the casino goes up on the nights when there's live racing at the track. I mean, we're not hurting them, we're helping them. So I think uh, getting that message across to the track owners who tend to be gaming companies uh, would be in our best interest. I think there, the day may come when the gaming companies realize that they're, they're not going to get rid of this. I know in Florida uh, they had to fight decoupling, and, and uh, that was an important battle, but... In Florida, don't forget, they didn't really have much coupling to begin with. In Pennsylvania, I think we've, we've grown up together and, and uh, we have a better relationship. Uh, if you look at the track management, the people who are actually running the racing operation, uh, I think in, in almost every case, they are more interested, more dedicated, more capable than ever before. There was a time maybe 20 years ago or more, when if you had a track, uh, and we saw this in Pennsylvania, had a track, you just you opened the doors, the horses came, the people came. You didn't really have to do a hell of a lot, and they didn't in some cases. That's all different now. They have to uh, be creative and work hard, and, and they're meeting the challenge. So uh, the, the fact that people are putting this much talent and energy into the situation we're in. I think that's going to pay off. 
Russell, let's switch gears. Just a couple more questions for you. Visiting with Russell Williams, Vice President of Hanover Shoe Farms, a uh, long racing resume. And uh, I got to tell you, Russell, one of the things, and, and listen, when you throw yourself in the limelight, you start to get the people talking about you. But one of the things I've heard about you, my friend, is your intense passion for the industry. I mean, you've been at it for a long time, and, and obviously you're very intense about uh, not only the past, but the future of harness racing. But uh, switching gears for a little bit, uh, over this past week, We've all read the headlines from Australia about uh, the banning of the whips in uh, 2017. Is that something that could that you see coming to the United States in the foreseeable future? No, I don't. I think, um, you know, you can't just ban whips. I mean, I've, I've been out there on the track in races. Uh, I've been fortunate enough never to hook a wheel. But you, if you get your wheels hooked, you're going to need to be able to move one of those horses forward. Otherwise, somebody's going out of the bike, and, and uh, so it's definitely the safety factor. Now, there's two more parts to this puzzle. Um, all the good horsemen will tell you that the whipping rules we have need to be enforced. The officials are not enforcing the rules the way they should. However, the third piece of the puzzle is the horsemen ought not to be pushing it. It's not cops and robbers. You know, there, there's an old belief that if the drivers aren't carving on the horses coming home, the bidders are going to think they're not trying. That's not true. That's just not true. That's, just, that's some idea that's been hanging around harness racing. There's, you know, there's a few things we think are true because we've always thought they were true, and that is not. So let the horsemen... Uh, drive a little more humanely and not challenge the whipping rules. Let the officials enforce the whipping rules carefully and fairly, and I think we'll be fine. That seems to be the consensus of the uh, people I've talked to so far. One final question, Russell, before we let you go. What kind of USDA president would Russell Williams be? Well, I'd be hanging around out there all the time because... Uh, there. First of all, I've got to learn the. I would have to learn the details of how things really work there. There's a lot of complicated processes that lead to a finished product that we see. We don't know what goes in. The directors don't even know how how everything works out there. Um, then the, the flip side of that is, I need to be out there. Uh, somebody should show up at the Prix de Marique represent the USDA and the, the American Harness Racing Sport. Um, so there, there's going to be a lot of road time involved. So uh, I guess I'd say I'd be, I'd be inside a lot and, and on the road a lot. The New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program places retired racehorses into approved monitored homes and transitions them into second careers. New Vocations has placed over 350 retired standard breads the past three years. They are now accepting horses from all racetracks in the United States. New Vocations has facilities in Ohio, Kentucky, and Pennsylvania and is expanding to New York. To learn more, visit newvocations.org and on Facebook at New Vocations. Racehorse Adoption Program. 
Get a huge boost to your bankroll for all of summer's best racing at Bet America. All new players can double their first deposit up to $300 with Bet America's 100% deposit bonus. That's the biggest sign up bonus in the industry. Sign up today and start playing the Bet America way. I'm much too fast to take that test We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Right now we're joined by Ryan Macedonio. Ryan has announced his candidacy for the President of the United States Trotting Association, and Ryan is also the host of the wildly popular Trotcast, as well as some other shows. Ryan, welcome in. Oh, well, happy to be here, Mike, as always. All right. Um, Let's start with motivation. And I know we've talked a lot about this off the air. We've actually talked about this some on the air, both on our show and your show, Um, as far as, uh, you know, you're kind of running on change. Um, And that's, you know, what you've been putting on social media. You're a young guy. Um, You're host of the Trotcast. You've got a wildly popular following. What motivated you, Ryan, to seek the presidency of the USTA? I guess uh, the first thing would be opportunity. I, I had no no real uh, expectations or, um, I, I guess, idea to run for it. And then one day I saw that Mr. Langley had resigned. So I thought to myself, hey, why not? I mean, who better than me, honestly? Uh, <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't have gone for it if, you know, because I, I, I don't exactly know how long Bill was the president for, uh, I think, the terms of four years, but the opportunity arose, so I like to dive on opportunities. Sometimes I like to make my own uh, my own opportunities, and that was pretty much it. I thought about it and said, I think I could do that, and uh, that's, that's how I generally roll with a lot of the stuff, is I may not be uh, initially the most qualified person for any of the stuff that I've done. I have no radio broadcasting experience, and... Yet, like you said, I host a wildly popular podcast and video interview show, and I had—I I didn't go to school for broadcasting. I didn't go to school for journalism. I didn't go to school for any of that. I just said, you know what? Why not? Why? Why not do that? And uh, same thing with the presidency. So, I look at things, and, and and I educate myself and go do it. That's pretty much how I how I've always done things. Ryan, let's uh, start by taking a look at the actual role of the USTA, and it's a gray area to a lot of different people. A lot of people think that it's uh, a governing body. A lot of people think it's a record-keeping company. A lot of people think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a marketing arm. In your opinion, what would you like to see the USTA's role in the sport of harness racing going forward? Well, I, I'd like to keep it doing all of those things, but whatever we all decide that the best course is, we have to be the best at it. If we're going to be just a data registry, we have to be the best data registry there is. Um, If we do eliminate, you know, and and realistically that's not going to happen, but let's just say for argument's sake and for debate fun that it's just a registry. Well, there are so many things that we can fix and make it better um, to generate more revenue and to be the best data registry that we can be. Um, so that's one thing. And then if you go into the marketing uh, and, and the governing body, 
we have to be the best. Whatever we're doing, we have to strive to be the best at. And uh, I, I, I would say there's, there's many opportunities to increase revenue in little areas, including the website and, and the following that the USD has and the reach with all of its members, um, advertising, sponsorship, revenue, opportunities. So whatever we got to do, we, we have to focus on being the best at it. Ryan Macedonio, our guest at this time. Ryan, declining handle uh, at the racetracks over the past 15 or 20 years. And there's certainly a lot of different reasons, a variety of different reasons why we've lost our fan base. And I know this is right up your alley. You host uh, the Trotcast Revolution with Jay Hochstetler, and you guys break this down every single week about different ways that the industry can bring back people and bring back fans. What do you, what is, and I know you've got a lot of different ideas. Give us your top few. What do you think racing can do to, uh, to attract public interest and get their fans back? I, I think probably, okay, I'll, I'll give you an analogy. If you go to a bar in New York City, the way the architecture is set up so that you walk into the bar and everybody in the front of the bar is a very small area and in front of the windows so that when you're walking by, you all you see is a is a lot of people squished into the front of the bar so that when you look outside you're like, Wow, that's a really popular bar. Meanwhile, a lot you know, the back may be empty, but the appearance of a lot of people in the bar because they're in a smushed area gives you the impression like, Oh, I wanna join it. If you were to walk into an area or a dance floor at a wedding too, where only one or two people are dancing, uh, you're not gonna get up and dance. It takes a very uh very brave person to get up and dance at a wedding when nobody else is dancing. But if a lot of people are dancing, you want to join the crowd. So I think that, um, and, and to simplify this, if we can truly globalize the sport, kind of what Yonkers is already doing, we already see the handle being boosted up with the wind pools and things like that and the show pools. There, there's more bet in the show pools at Yonkers than there are bet in, in, on entire races at some tracks. So if, if a lot of handlers uh, uh, gamblers saw that the handle was huge, they would be more inclined to bet um, just because they're joining the party. So if we can increase guaranteed pools, um, guaranteed pick five, things like that that can entice just people who don't necessarily want to bet, but they see large handles and large payouts, uh, I think that that's a very easy way to uh, to increase long-term uh, people to, uh, to wager on a sport. Ryan, relationships between casinos and horsemen racetracks uh, sometimes has, have been a little frayed. I mean, we've seen the advent of racinos over the past 15 to 20 years. In some states, not all. Uh, but like I say, a lot of times the relationships between the casino and the horsemen haven't been all that good. And obviously it's become, uh, to a lot of states, the lifeblood of our industry. What do you think we can do moving forward to kind of solidify that relationship? I think uh, everybody has to look at themselves and what they control. And like you said, Jay and I have discussed this on our Revolution podcast. We dedicated an entire episode to this. Um, we Not that we blame the horsemen, but we said that the horsemen can do a lot of little things to make themselves look a lot better in the eyes of everybody else, uh, including just, I think we call their episode Horseman Pride or something like that. Um, but there's a lot of things that horsemen can do 
to increase their image and better their image and work together as a group so that we are, you know, and I'm, I'm a horseman. You know, I consider myself a lifelong horseman. We need to do a lot of things that are simple, that are sometimes free, that we can do um, little things like a dress code or, or have pride in your stable, wear your stable colors to the paddock. Things like that, baby steps to increase um, the likability of, of horsemen, and then you can really work on the relationship with everybody else. You gotta fix, everybody's got to fix themselves. I can't control what management's doing. I can't control what the racing doing, but I can control myself and the horsemen. So everybody's got to worry about fixing themselves and giving the best image and putting their best foot forward before we start worrying about you know, controlling everybody, how all their relationships are going to work out. And getting all these factions on the same page. I mean, you've got a lot of different uh, movable parts and spinning wheels going on at, at uh, all different times at the same times in the in the business. I mean, you have horsemen, you have racetracks, you have management, you have breeders, you have racetrack owners. What can we do to get all of them on the same page? Because obviously, one thing is clear, that if we're going to move forward, everybody's got to be united. What do you think that maybe you, as if you were to get elected as president, can do to try to bring some of these different factions together and get them united? I think uh, one of the things you'd have to do is find a lot of little things that we can actually work together on and prove that we have a relationship. Just setting up little meetings like you or I have done in, in the past before, um, where if, let's say, Meadowlands wants to work with Hoosier Park on some sort of uh, gimmick wager, you know, that opens the door for a little, and something very simple. So that opens the contacts up of whether it's emails or, or phone or Skype or conference calls, whatever, so that you continuously have that, that relationship. Very simple things. Simple marketing stuff, simple advertising, simple things like that, so that when it comes to the big ideas, you already have a relationship with the other person. So you, know, you could say, hey, we got this big idea. Are you in? Meanwhile, you've already had a relationship for a long time, and then it becomes very easy to jump on that big idea. And then if you get a couple of tracks or a couple of horsemen's associations, a couple of drivers, driving colonies to work together, uh, People don't want to be left out. So if you have four tracks working together, eventually that fifth track doesn't want to be seen as the lone wolf because then their image is negative. So eventually you'll get everybody on the same page because nobody wants to be left out. Ryan, let's switch gears for a little bit. Uh, over the past uh, week or so, the big headline coming out of Australia was uh, the banning of the whips that's going to take effect in 2017. Now you're a horseman, um, and we've you know we've gotten a couple of people's so we've gotten a couple of people's assessment of what that would mean if that were to ever come to the United States. First off, what are your thoughts about it? And second of all, do you foresee that ever coming to the U.S.? Uh, well, I think and and Jay and I so we we kind of discussed it on last week's episode, and I'm actually. I talked with Jay a couple minutes before this interview, and we're gonna put a like um, put a final on it. Like we just want to get our closing words. Because we had a guest Don Swick on, and he, we, you know we kind of let him lead the way. Uh, but Jay and I are gonna put put to bed this topic. I don't think it really matters what I think, what you think. What matters is that if I were to do the numbers, let's say uh, let's say there's 
I'm being generous here, I think. Let's say there's 100,000 people that are involved in harness racing. Just do the numbers on that. That's a very, very small percentage of the U.S. population, of the world population. And I, we keep trying to placate ourselves, which is such a small percentage of everybody else. And if you look in the outside world, you go outside of harness racing, people do not want to see animal abuse, whether it's a true fact or an image. And I think that there's a lot of people that get turned off. The fact there's a lot of people, a lot more people that get turned off by whips and things like that. And that's something that we can't ignore. So my own personal feelings, I, I'm a trainer. I can train with a whip. I can train without a whip. I can drive without a whip. I, you know, things like that. But we have to get more aware of what everybody outside of harness racing is thinking. We keep going amongst ourselves and asking us amongst ourselves, what, do, what, what should we do? Instead of asking, well, what is everybody else thinking? Because we want more people involved, so how are we supposed to get more people involved if we don't care what they think? Um, so I'm not saying that they want to ban whips, but there needs to be, if, if we are going to ban whips, we need to make sure that the outside people, if, if we're going to be able to attract them, that's what they want. Does that make sense? Did, did I explain that right? I think you did, and, I, and and obviously you guys are going to dive more into that, and you have the show with Jayhawk Stetler. It's uh, the Trotcast Revolution, along with your Trotcast, and, and I'll tell you what, Ryan, you've been doing a fantastic job of putting content out. Um, where could people find all this uh, if, if they're just maybe tuning into my show for the first time and, and uh, they want to check you guys out? Where can we find all this stuff? Oh, well, you know I'm all about shameless self-promotion. It's like, you know me too well. Uh, so everything everything is pretty much Trotcast. So on Instagram, Trotcast. On Facebook.com slash Trotcast. Twitter's on Trotcast. Uh, trotcast.com. You can add me on Facebook, Ryan Macedonio. The podcast has its own podcast feed, which you can find on all of those things before, but you can, if you listen to on Freaker Radio, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, iTunes, or Google Play Music. Just search Trotcast, and you'll be able to, uh, to find the feed. Both podcasts are on there. Sometimes I do some special podcasts, like I went down to Pompano for their British Invasion. Did a special podcast with those guys. So it's all in one feed, very simple. Make sure you subscribe. You get automatically uh, downloaded and updated when new episodes come out. When I just randomly surprise you with an episode like the British Invasion one. It's good, good stuff. I mean, every other day it seems like you've got some brand new stuff coming out. Uh, Ryan, before we let you go, what kind of USDA president would Ryan Macedonio be? I would say I'd be very transparent, very accountable, I, and, and you would know the identity of the USDA. Uh, because you know, because I'm transparent, I'm accountable, I hold, I hold everybody around me accountable, and I have an identity. You know what my shows are. You know what you're going to get. There is no, there's no hiding behind anything. Um, so that's what you're going to get. You're going to, if if there's meetings we have, we're going to make sure that it's publicized. What I don't know, not necessarily live, but you're going to know exactly. Everybody's going to know what is going on and what the identity of the USDA is going to be. Fantastic. Ryan, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Good luck come February.
Ladies and gentlemen, we have a disqualification. It doesn't get much worse than picking a winner that ends up being disqualified after the race. What if you could eliminate the stress of sweating out a steward's inquiry? At Bet America, we're here to help. Introducing Inquiry Relief. Any winners of a graded stakes race will get paid out even if they are disqualified after a steward's inquiry. Check BetAmerica.com for details and side effects. Get the relief you deserve with Inquiry Relief only at BetAmerica.com. Here at The Stable, our mission is to provide fair market for owners of yearlings while giving investors the most informative way to purchase all of or part of a horse. The Stable will cater to all budgets by having an open fractional buying market and a flat rate billing system. At The Stable, we aim to minimize the risk in buying and maximize the benefit of selling. Visit thestable.ca or give Anthony McDonald a call at 519-400-4263. That's 519-400-4263. It's thestable.ca. Embroidery Unlimited is a premier provider of quality embroidery, screen printing, and promotional products. Our commitment to quality and pride in our work is second to none. We focus on quality and customer service. For all of your stable or business needs, Embroidery Unlimited is the number one provider in harness racing. Give Jim Winsky a call at 508-485-5522. That's 508-485-5522. Or visit them on the internet at EmbroideryUNL.com. That's EmbroideryUNL.com. Embroidery Unlimited. We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter. Right now, we're joined by Joe Panaccio. He's the president and executive director of the Florida Standard Bread Breeders and Owners Association. Very ex- uh, successful amateur driver. 15 years as a CEO for consumer products companies that were both manufacturing and distribu- uh, distribution, and has uh, been in the harness racing business for close to 30 years. Joe, does that about cover it all? Yes, it does. That covers it all, Mike, uh, from, a, from a work perspective, yes. All right. So uh, you certainly have been around the block. Obviously, we we were talking a little bit off the air about the uh, amateur driving and, and how competitive that's turned into. But, uh, Joe, you're undertaking a little bit of a, a, a new thing here. You're, you've announced your candidacy for the president of the uh, United States Trotting Association. Have to ask you, what motivated uh, you to seek this uh, particular spot? Well, uh, two things. First, uh, after uh, Phil Langley announced uh, that he was going to retire at the end of the year uh, last month, uh, I received uh, within a day or two uh, three or four phone calls from other directors who encouraged me to run just, uh, you know, simply based on our relationships and uh, their knowledge of my business background and what I've been able to accomplish uh, in my business career and what I've been able to accomplish down here in Florida uh, over the past five years, uh, uh, from, 
a, a very difficult time, as you know, with the uh, owner of our property uh, in, in keeping harness racing going here. Uh, and we've been successful, and we've been able to get that going. Uh, but secondly, and more importantly, Mike, is that, uh, you know, uh, like most guys, I'm, I'm in harness racing because of passion. I have passion for the sport. I love it. I love the horses. Um, I've been around them a long time. Uh, I thought when I retired from my last position uh, to come to Florida that I was going to kind of go off into the sunset, race my horses, have fun, and that was going to be it. A little bit I know that the guys down here were going to uh, draw me into uh, the beginning of this. And once, uh, you know, I got started and saw what a disadvantage we were at from a uh, uh, business background perspective versus the corporate uh, guys that we were on the other side of this, I, I really felt it was uh, my responsibility to step up and help these guys. Uh, by the same token, I now see the picture uh, better nationally uh, as to what's going on in the sport. And I think anybody would agree that our sport is challenged uh, certainly challenged financially uh, and challenged where we're going legislatively over the next five to 10 years. Um, I think I can bring uh, the most uh, to the table for the USDA as their president. I think uh, a, a new leadership, a new direction, uh, and to begin to run the USDA uh, really as a, a class A business. Uh, I, I think there are many directors at the USDA today who I speak with who are not thrilled about uh, what we do, um, that it seems like there are those people in harness racing that think the only job of the USDA is to uh, write, pass, and legislate the rules uh, and, and nothing else. I, I don't see it as that as all, at all. I see it uh, as an opportunity for an organization uh, to be singularly uh, the, the leader of harness racing uh, in the United States, and I think, you know, we need to step up and do that as a business. Um, listen, I, I don't fool myself. I don't think we're going to be the NFL uh, because we don't have that kind of revenue stream. Uh, but that's the first thing I believe that needs to change at the USTA. We need to develop a revenue stream because without uh, money, we can't do anything. And, and I'm sure that everybody would agree that the sport needs to be marketed better. The sport needs to be on television we need to draw in new fans uh, and all those things. But you can't do that without money. And, and to think you're going to do that off the money you generate from, from membership or things like that uh, is, is not going to get it done. Um, now, I, that's where I fall back on my, you know, 35, 40 years of business experience. Uh, uh, many, many times I've been challenged at different uh, levels, different jobs uh, to come up with a, a better revenue stream for that for that company or that position uh, so that we could move forward and do certain things, not unlike what this needs to happen here. Um, I have in my head uh, a good 10, 12 ideas uh, that I think we could begin on and begin to implement uh, very quickly. Um, anybody in the horse business knows uh, that, you know, getting everybody on the same page between the racetracks and the horsemen's associations and everybody else is a difficult task. And I think that uh, I've had these challenges before at big corporations that were uh, where the employees were uh, big unions. Um, and I've had that challenge of bringing, bringing both sides to the table, having a good conversation and seeing how we're going to make the sport better for everybody. Um, so that, that would be the motivation uh, for the direction that I think we need to go. 
but that first and foremost, I think it needs to be run as a business. Um, and it, it isn't quite a business today. It's more of an association than a business. Joe, let's start here. Um, you know, it seems like the USTA's role uh, in the in the pictures of the brains of a lot of people uh, is is kind of gray. Uh, you know, the USTA are they a record keeping body? Are they a marketing arm? Are they actually some sort of governing body? In your opinion, Joe, what do you think? going forward that the role of the United States Toronto Association should be? Well, I think the role should be, uh, you know, no different uh, than the role of uh, the associations or whatever, whatever their, their corporate entities are that run other sports in the United States, whether it's the, uh, no, no different than the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NHL or the NBA. Now, the, the, the major difference is, is that we're not a major sport. Uh, we we don't generate that kind of revenue, uh, but we have to have a, a body to be in there, and and yes, that should be doing uh, the kinds of things that govern the sport from a rulemaking perspective, but also needs to be responsible for everything else. Uh, Mike, I think there's a, a long list uh, of things that are getting a lot of pushback from a lot of the people in the sport that shouldn't be getting pushback before we even get into the hard ones. We all, the hard ones are, you know, the owners, the trainers, the drivers, the, 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 the racetrack guys are fighting about everything. But before that, let's talk about the people on the sport. Um, I think that we should have universal licensing. Now, the first thing I hear is, well, you can't do it because, you know, New York or New Jersey or Pennsylvania doesn't want to do it. I, I don't understand you can't do that. It doesn't work for me. Uh, somebody has to work on it every day. And I understand the pushback from the states. They don't want to give up control because they have people that work in those jobs and they have revenue. So, you know, my approach would be, we'll give you the revenue. We'll keep the revenue stream going, but let us have a universal license that licenses the harness racing guy in all the venues. Um, Now I realize that's, that's easy to say and much harder to do, but I'm used to taking on those kind of very difficult things. Um, So that would be one for all the horsemen. Uh, The second thing I have in my mind that really just jumps out at me immediately because we did a really good job with it down here is healthcare. Why don't we have uh, universal health care? Now, with a new incoming administration saying that they're going to knock down uh, the, the impediments of going state to state with health care, uh, maybe there is a, a role for us. You know, with 16,000 members, um, if we had 10% of our people that wanted to get into a health care plan with us altogether, um, we'd be a huge group. I mean, we have 75 people in our group down here in Florida, and we're seen as a large group. Uh, we've been able to provide our horsemen with really solid health care benefits that they can take all around the country. So I'm sure that that's something else, uh, you know, that, that we should be looking at in the not-too-distant future. Of course, the immediate pushback is, oh, you can't do that. We do it in Pennsylvania. We do it in New York. We do it. It, none of those singularly will be as good as doing it as one. Um, and then the, the, the last thing, which may be just a dream, is to come up with some kind of retirement plan for some of these people. Because outside of some of those states that have big uh, slot revenue uh, that comes in and that provides uh, retirement pa- packages for their, for their horsemen, there are many, many horsemen around the country that don't get any retirement package at all and, and uh, don't, you know, something as simple as setting up an IRA account or, uh, you know, uh, some type of retirement account for these guys, 
you know, that they can put in and, and maybe they get, you know, uh, uh, some uh, matching funds uh, from the organization. So those are some of the social things that I see uh, big opportunities, uh, you know, for us in, in the real short term. Uh, that would make everybody's life in this industry just a little bit better and a little bit easier to deal with. Um, again, we go back to the first thing. Keep in mind what I said. We have to generate revenue because if we can't generate revenue, we can't go anywhere. And we would take that revenue and figure out how to make this this industry uh, do better in, in the eyes of the public. Um, you know, I go back, Mike, a long, long time in this sport. Uh, I can remember as a young guy going to Yonkers Raceway, watching races, uh, standing on the steps by the finish line uh, when I was 18 years old. And, uh, you know, I've loved it ever since then, and I think we're in a very difficult time. Uh, and, and we have to figure out a way to position ourselves to now become competitive uh, with other things. You know, back in the day, everybody said, you know, you had 25, 30,000 people at Yonkers and, uh, you know, on a Saturday night, which is true. Uh, I can remember going to Monticello Raceway on a Sunday afternoon, and there was 5,000 people there. But listen, the discretionary dollar today in America has many, many other places to go. And we understand that. So we'd have to put our heads together and come up with a way. Uh, there are lots of opportunities for us uh, going forward. Uh, you know, the USTA has kind of dabbled in the whole social media thing a little bit, but it kind of uh, kind of got off track. But that's something that clearly is going to be not only important, but more and more important as we go forward. Uh, the kind of shows that you have and that other people have that talk about harness racing uh, are the kinds of things that we have to get out there in front of these uh, the membership and, and everybody that's involved in harness racing in America. Joey, uh, and I think you just touched on it, the declining handle over the past 15 or 20 years, and obviously there's a variety of different reasons, competition, uh, just a lot of different reasons uh, that, that we could sit here and talk about why uh, harness racing isn't doing as well as it was 20, 25 years ago. What do you think specifically uh, the racing can do to maybe attract some of these people, attract uh, some of the gamblers back to the sport of harness racing? Well, listen, I, I, I tell you that uh, because we were given some cooperation here in Florida in uh, 2014 and 15 as it relates to the racing side of it, uh, the, the handle in Florida in 2014 was up 33%, and the handle in Florida was up just under 20% in 2015. So back-to-back -back years of high handle, uh, a three-year-old, a three-year cash on cash uh, where they picked up 122% in cash, in Florida, and that's because we had a director of racing in Brett Revington who was willing to try things and was willing to go after it. Now, for, I would tell you, Mike, that I think everybody's uh, specific track has their opportunities as to how they can uh, bring more fans and get more wagering. Um, we were fortunate uh, that, uh, you know, Brett and I talked the same language as it relates to the business, and the first thing we did was change our race dates uh, and we started racing Sunday nights and Tuesday nights, uh, which, you know, the, the, the New York, Pennsylvania tracks, the big ones, weren't, for the most part, racing those nights. Uh, also keeping in mind, we race from October to May, um, and there isn't a, a, a tremendous amount of competition in the winter, and we had an opportunity to go after it. But I think each raceway has an opportunity to go after a specific, uh, for, for their own uh, property, uh, to increase handle. Now, uh, you know, I don't own any of these other properties, obviously. So, 
nobody's asking uh, my opinion, but uh, I'd be happy to sit down and talk with uh, the track owners. Listen, look at the handle at the Meadowlands. They do a great job when they're handling, you know, you know, two to three million. Uh, you know, for a while there were three million dollars a night uh, was was easy for them uh, because they they go after it. They they race full fields. Um, they race enough races during the night. The races are competitive. Um, and, and the, you know, people say the classes aren't what they used to be there. And I don't think that really matters for the guy that's wagering. Um, wage, guys that wager like to wager on 10 horse fields because the exact pools are much better and bigger. Um, they like to wager on, on races where they're, you know, not going out there every, every race and the, the, the one, two, three horses, three to five. Um, and, uh, and, more often than not, on a on a mile track, they get a, they get a shot, you know, to win that race at some point in time. So, uh, you know, you look to what what uh, what Jeff and, and Jason have done there, and, and it's it, from a gambling standpoint, from a bringing in the revenue standpoint, they've done a, a, a very very nice job. Now, they of course suffer from the fact that they don't have a casino, so they have to compete uh, under very difficult terms, which they compete the same way that we do in Florida, because. We have a casino, but we don't have any guaranteed percentage from our casino. Um, you know, unlike uh, the Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Delaware, New York, you know, they've, they've all got guaranteed percentages that they're getting uh, out of their slot machines. Uh, so that, that, that makes their life a little bit easier from a, a profit standpoint. But it doesn't help the, 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 uh, uh, the wagering side. So I also think that the other thing is some of the exotic wagering and with a smaller takeout. Uh, has really, uh, you know, helped it. I and mean, we had a, a pool down here that ran to a million dollars at one point in time. And obviously, there were lots of people wagering into that thing. Uh, so there are things to do. Um, and, but I, I honestly tell you that I think that it's an individual, uh, state by state, or actually track by track, based on their timing uh, and their needs. But for us, it, it, it worked remarkably well. Uh, the last couple of years, and we hope to continue that trend. Visiting with Joe Panaccio, the president and executive director of the Florida Standard Bread Breeders and Owners Association. Joe, one more question before we let you go. Over the past week, uh, the big headline out of Australia is uh, the whip-free rule coming up in 2017. What are your thoughts there, and do you believe that this is something that is destined to come to the United States uh, sooner rather than later? Um, I think it is destined to be some change. I don't know when that change will be. I can't, I couldn't do that. Uh, for a guy who has a very weak whip hand, uh, and most, <laughs> most people, including my children, would tell you that I really don't have hit it with. But uh, uh, I, on, a, on a serious note, listen, I think that there are lots of things that have been tried that don't necessarily uh, solve the issue. Uh, the, the two hand, one hand in each handhold, uh, Mike. That doesn't do anything because the guy takes his handhold and he moves it behind his back, you know. And he's got he's got a loose line. I, I think that tends to be more dangerous than than when they let him, you know, put both hands in one line. Um, so, but I, I'm not so sure the United States is going to be so quick to go to uh, no whipping at all. Um, you know, from my perspective as a driver, I, I wouldn't mind it because you know the races that we race in. Uh, but I would think you would hear from the majority of drivers and trainers that there are some horses that need to be encouraged. And, uh, uh, and that doesn't mean, 
uh, you know, excessively using the whip. We have a rule down here in Florida, you know, you can hit three times and then you take a break uh, before you can hit again. And, and uh, you know, if, if a guy abuses that rule, he gets fined pretty quickly. Uh, we also are uh, um, very, very, very uh, good about uh, looking at the horses that come in after the race. And if a horse is striped up, uh, you know, it's been hit hard by a driver and the driver's called the task on that and, uh, uh, and, and faces a final suspension. So uh, I think that common sense can prevail here. I think that there'll be emotional issues on both sides. You know, the, the emotional issue on the side of protecting the animal uh, is very, very important to me. It always has been. Uh, but there, there is a financial side to the, uh, to the driver who says, if I don't hit this horse, he's not going to go on the lane. Um, and I think there's some balance to it. I, I'm not so sure, Mike, that we see uh, a, a rule that's, that's going to be, you know, no whip at all. Actually, that, that makes me a little nervous. So what are, the, what are they going to do to make, you know, the, the horse that needs to be encouraged, now is he getting encouraged? He's going to be kicked? I hate that idea. Um, so, you know, we've been in it as I said, 30 plus years and 30 years for all the horses, hundreds of horses that we've owned in our family. Um, you know, I, I, we put one horse down in 30 years and that's because he's sick. You know, we've had horses that we've kept for 20, 25 years on a farm, uh, just because we don't want them to be hurt. Uh, so, you know, we, we're always very, very much on the side of protecting the animal, uh, and because they are great animals and they're a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And for those guys that don't, treat the animals well, then they, they should be, shouldn't be in the sport at all. Uh, and, and everybody can see when somebody is abusing an animal. And if they're abusing an animal, we need to send them home. I mean, that's, that's my, my end all on that one, without a doubt. Joe Panaccio, the president and executive director of the FSBOA, and he's also running for the presidency of the United States Drawing Association. Joe, we certainly appreciate you sitting down and joining with us today, and, uh, and good luck come February. Well, thank you very much for having me, Mike. And let me just shout out to uh, the 60 directors of the USDA that there are. And uh, if you have any questions as to uh, my position on any issue specifically as it relates to the running of the USDA, feel free to call me personally. I'm happy to talk to any one of them. And I will be reaching out to each and every one of them individually between now and the meeting. Get a huge boost to your bankroll for all of summer's best racing at Bet America. All new players can double their first deposit up, up to $300 with Bet America's 100% deposit bonus. That's the biggest sign up bonus in the industry. Sign up today and start playing the Bet America way. There you have it, the three candidates running for the presidency of the United States Trotting Association. Mike Bozich along with Mike Carter, Post Time with Mike and Mike, is presented by Bet America. And uh, let's eavesdrop in on Mike Carter, see what he's got going on over there, Mike. Hey, what's up, buddy? Oh, you're not. What, what are you doing up there? You're supposed to be working. Yeah, man. Well, you know, we're up here tweeting and working and, you know, calling horses to the post. We're having a good old time up here, man. 
Yeah, we certainly are. Well, those are the three candidates. Uh, special thanks to uh, those guys, Russell Williams, Ryan Macedonio, and uh, Joe Panaccio for spending some time with us outlining their vision for the future. Some very interesting stuff. And uh, Mike, speaking of, uh, we've got you up there in the announcers booth. And uh, actually, we you know we take these interviews a couple of days before, so we're basically uh, sitting here kind of running the studio a little bit. But uh, this is the first time I believe that. During the course of this program, you were up in the announcers booth at Northfield Park. Give us a little bit of a lay of the land up there. How's your view looking up there? How's the weather conditions? Uh, maybe if anybody's uh, betting a couple of bucks at Northfield uh, tonight, maybe give them a, a horse or, or two a little bit later on in the card. You know, it, it, I'm just to the right of the wire, and it's uh, not very far off, so it's nice. So I can see the, you know, I can see some uh, some very exciting finishes, and I'm able to call them up here, which makes it a. Uh, which makes it really nice. Uh, the view, there's not a blind spot to be had at this racetrack, Mike Bozich. And, uh, you know, it's a little chilly. It's about 32 or so degrees, and the winds have shifted now to their faces coming down the stretch. Uh, coming up later in the program, I like the two Maddie's Valley in the 10th race. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a chalk horse. Um, but we're trying to find some prices in the car. If you're looking for a price in that race, Mike, uh, the 9 Adriana. Um, in that same race uh, could potentially provide some uh, value as well with Aaron Merriman aboard. So uh, the 10th race is a uh, pretty wide open affair, if you ask me. Now, we know you're a grizzled veteran at this. You got your start uh, calling races uh, uh, at a paramutual track at Buffalo Raceway. You did do some uh, fill-ins and some fairings before that. But now that you're a kind of a, a, a journeyman announcer, so to speak, uh, and a veteran of the open roads, uh, do you still keep uh, the same preparation process for calling a race that you uh, did back then? You know, sometimes I color, other times not so much. Uh, I've pretty much quit coloring here. Um, I see these horses week in and week out. That's the beauty of racing 222 days a year is I know the horses pretty much. I know, you know, uh, who's driving who. Now, in the wintertime, it's a little bit tougher. Uh, I, I've come to notice that. we have I'm seeing a lot of new faces as far as horses go. And, of course, they're pairing with different drivers. But, uh, you know, it's the same, pretty much the same. I don't really look at the horses until they come onto the racetrack for their respective race. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of memorization that goes to it. Uh, I kind of memorize as the race goes on. And normally by the uh, first quarter, uh, I've got them pretty much, uh, pretty much down. And, uh, you know, talking about going back a couple of years, uh, I know you had a chance. And I, I've never actually been to the facility, but I know you've had a chance to call a couple of races at that huge, monstrous oval, especially for harness racing, Colonial Downs. I would assume that the half mile, in your case, at Northfield Park has to be a little easier, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely easier. I tell everybody all the time, I'm thankful that I learned how to call at uh, Colonial Downs because uh, it was definitely the hardest track I ever had to call from. And, Mike, I didn't think there could be a worse booth until I got to Hazel Park where you were. It's the same type of booth. It's flush it's flush with the it's not that it's bad, it's just flush with the building. So at Colonial, you're thirteen hundred feet from the start finish or the start line to the top of the stretch. Luckily you weren't that far at Hazel, but the flush uh, flush with the building made it a little bit tough. Hazel Park was a brand new grandstand when I started there back in two thousand and four and actually the first uh, couple of years I was in a booth that did not have Shutter a sliding window. Well, there we go. So maybe we could. Uh, so they're coming to the gate. So actually, do you mind if we eavesdrop, buddy? You keep that uh, mic live because we want to hear you call a race. Can we? <laughs> can we do that here on Post Time with Mike and Mike? Sure. Why not? What the heck? All right. So uh, I'll. Uh, and they're they're coming to the gate. So uh, and uh, what race are you guys on, Mike? 
uh, race number seven. They're turning to the top of the stretch. All right. So uh, actually, this is going to be uh, maybe a first, a live race call here on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. It's race yeah, number seven at the of the top Park. of the stretch. They're picking up speed. Here they come for race seven. Mike Carter doing the announcing. Let's set it to Mike for race seven at Northfield Park. The Ruffin pacing, Sandslinger in pantsuit, Hillary first away, a Gold Star Dynasty showing some game speed on the outside as well. Seafood Kukla is going to take back into fourth as they head around the opening turn. They are three wide early on, and in between horses is pantsuit, Hillary. On the outside is Gold Star Dynasty up to engage the leader, then comes Sandslinger in third. Outside parked out is Julietta's director trying to find a seat along the pylons, being wrestled back by Ronnie Rand Jr. and will find a seat now through opening quarter of 28 seconds flat. Then at the inside is Seafood Kukla. Shining up on the outside is Delightful Sid, and Juliana's director was flushed out by that one. Then comes Adelina Hitover, who is third up. It's a gap of three lengths further back to esteemed members, and Eloquent Velocity is the trailer as they come by the stands for the first time, and it's Gold Star Dynasty, the one-to-two betting choice on top by a length. On the outside, Julietta's director races in second as they hit the half, 57 and 4, 29 and 4 in the second panel. Then comes Pantsuit Hillary in the third as they circle around the turn. Sandslinger and Jason Thompson race in fourth, six lengths off these leaders. Then on the outside is Delightful Sid in fifth. Six at the inside, Seafood Kukla. Moving three wide now is Adelita Hanover. Poised to strike. Following that bit on the outside is Eloquent Velocity. As they head up the back stretch to three quarters, it's Gold Star Dynasty past three quarters in 126 and 4, 29 seconds. In that third panel as well, and it's Gold Star Dynasty. Gold Star Dynasty has opened up a length advantage over Pantsuit Hillary. He's trying to close the margin from the pocket. Three wide on the outside is Adelina Hanover. Moving four wide now is Eloquent Velocity. They come to the top of the stretch. They turn for home. Pantsuit Hillary up and after. Gold Star Dynasty on the inside. Pantsuit Hillary takes over the lead and will win it. Gold Star Dynasty second outside eloquent velocity over delightful Sid in 157. Oh, how about that, Mike Carter, our good friend Pantsuit Hillary. And by the way, Sam McKee, if you're listening to this program, please send that award back because we're going to give it to Mike Carter for the call of the seventh race at Northfield Park with Pantsuit Hillary getting the job done. Mike, it was an outstanding job. We're going to wrap this thing up, uh, but I guess I could speak for both of us. When I say uh, a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to uh, everybody out there listening to this program. Yeah, definitely. A very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a very Happy New Year. we got some exciting things coming up in 2017. We're really excited uh, about the things that we're working on. That's right. So please log on to our website. Follow us. It's post time with Mike and Mike.com. By the way, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. By the way, uh, before we let everybody go, we do have a piece that was emailed to us by uh, Melissa Keith uh, about Nova Scotia harness racing. And it's just a couple of minutes long. And we do have a couple of minutes here left on the program. So without further ado, let's uh, check this out. It's a, it's a pretty good piece. It's about three minutes long. And it was sent to us by uh, Melissa Keith. So enjoy. Each year, the Nova Scotia Harness Racing Fund contributes $1 million to the provincial harness racing industry. So, what does $1 million look or sound like? Let's go out, we'll take no prisoners. Well, it kind of sounds like this to start. DJ Kelly wins the Exhibition Cup, take a wire fashion. Joan Bugs, baby, a little leg weary this week. 
but he's going to hold on to win it by your neck. Tiger Town, they don't call her the queen for nothing. When your Deepsiners wins the gathering pace. Then it might sound like Keep Breton-owned Fresh Yankee, the first North American-bred trotter to earn $1 million lifetime. Fresh Yankee, a seven-year-old by Hickory Pride, purchased for $900 by Duncan McDonald of Sydney, Nova Scotia. It also sounds like Spring Hill, Nova Scotia's Bill O'Donnell, first driver to record a $10 million earnings season. Nihilator, what a powerhouse season, full stride. Here's Nihilator, Bill O'Donnell urging him to a sensational mile, 150 and 3. Nihilator, a superstar. We also tend to make a little noise when we go forward in the $1 million U.S. North America Cup at Mohawk Racetrack. That's Canada's biggest race. Well, look at Zoshi Hanover on the outside comes by. Then it's Patrick and walk and Zoshi Hanover off the dreamy two-hole trip. Crown him the king of the Pepsi North America Cup. Walk and Zoshi Hanover wins over Wiggle and Jiglin in 148. It sounds like a horse with Shubenacadie, Nova Scotia roots, upsetting the richest pacer of all time in New York. And foiled again, trying to see this through. Foiled again. Bounce for the inside, sneaky through. Here comes P.H. Supercam. P.H. Supercam to the outside. Pantis head of a P.H. Supercam. In the lead. Pantis head of a flying late. And foiled again. And then Sapphire City, 152-3. It sounds like world records and champion sire. It's all some beat somewhere, and he's drawn clear to a six-length lead with an eighth of a mile to go. Mystery Chase on the outside of second. Blue Claws racing in third. Some beat somewhere, a 16th from the finish. Mystery Chase a distant second. It's some beat somewhere. He is heading down to the wire. Some beat somewhere. Maxinell pushes him home. 146 and four, equaling the world record top of the stretch. Explosive Manor now with two and a half lengths to make up is chasing in second. An eighth of a mile from the wire and it is Muscle Hill who's striding clear for Brian Sears. Explosive Manor is racing in second. Symphonic Hanover third. Muscle Hill drawing away with every stride. Operation Hamiltonian complete. It's Muscle Hill 150 and one equaling the world record. heard about what's happening in Nova Scotia harness racing, you may not be listening close enough. And once again, thank you very much, Melton Keith, for that great piece. On behalf of all of us here at Post Time with Mike and Mike, we wish everybody a very Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. No matter what you celebrate, it's certainly a season of uh, loving, giving, and cheering. And we certainly appreciate everybody that has listened to us over the past year here at Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Log on to our website, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. Mike Carter, it's Mike Post. See you next Thursday for Post Time. Closing time. One last call for alcohol. So finish your whiskey or beer. Closing time. You don't.
No! 